Take a look on back a few decades past To a simpler time to be When your cares were tied To a phone call right And the next show on TV So crank on up your boombox jams And flip your tape to the beside We're going back to class on this podcast New Year and welcome back to the podcast that takes you back to the most radical decade in history for the movies, the games, the toys, the TV shows that made the 80s so wonderful. We're your hosts. I'm Ben. And I'm Chris. And this is 80s High. How's it going, man? Uh, 2023. 2023. It's a very, very, very special episode. Not only is it our first episode of 2023, but do you know well, what number? That we recorded. I, let's, you know, point of order, listeners will have- Sorry, thank you. Yes, right. Let their ears dream up some Herbie Hancock's rocket, but we Sorry. did record that before the holidays in December. Like a quick cut of a robot leg walking through a living room. Let me cut that back <laughs> a few seconds. All right. Um, the first recorded of the new year. Do you know what number episode this is? 50. 50. That was actually one thing I was going to say. I'm I'm shocked you knew that. 50. It's pretty exciting. Episode 50. You as a 50 episode podcaster looking back on all these years, do you have any words of wisdom uh, for our audience and all the labor you've put into this? I will say this is my 200th podcast episode because oh <laughs> actually sorry, more than what? 200 <laughs> well, sorry, remember what? i i did a podcast for three years oh my god that's so much audio we did weekly so we did yeah like a little over 150 episodes yeah so this is, this is a big milestone for you i'm like a grandparent of podcasts now you're a double centurion that's so exciting <laughs> that's right that's right and centurions will mm. come up in this episode maybe i know where you're going with this but we'll we'll save it for one of the other classes i do also want to say here in home room in episode five of this season we talked about you know up and coming director steven spielberg yeah very good uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. and mr steven just won a golden globe for best director of emotion and picture for the fablemans which at that time we were like hey this movie's coming out soon and here we are, like just a month or two later, already nabbed a Golden Globe and the movie itself, Best Motion Picture in the Drama category. Yeah, so right. two gets for Steven Spielberg and for the movie, loosely based off his own life. Thought that was fun. Look, contemporary culture, even more contemporary. Even Indeed. happening in the future episode. I, I can't wait to see that. That movie is going to be amazing. Yeah, and especially after talking about his life and career, I really want to see how they capture it through this movie. I had two 80s encounters over the holidays I wanted to let you know about. First of all, one of my most treasured Christmas gifts I received, I received a vinyl of Paul Simon's Graceland album. Wow. For our record player. And it's like beautiful. It's translucent too. It's like clear. Oh, have you had a chance to have a listen to it? Oh, did we spin that bad boy up? And it How was does it sound? Awesome. How does it sound with the actual kinetic sound? It's not digital. It's not oh, fake. On a record player, it's just beautiful. It sounds so good. I'm not going to lie. There was a housewide dance party to You Can Call Me Al. It's so oh, wonderful. We like I mean, cranked that so loud. Of course. Great. That's awesome. And the other one, just a little surprise one, because I know you like uh, digging into the games a little bit. You know, something caught my eye as I scrolled through the barcade that you and I share. Mm. And I gave a little time to June 1987's Double Dragon. 
Oh. I have not played that since I was just a wee lad. Now, was it the arcade version or the Nintendo version? I think it's the Nintendo version. Okay. And it was like, you know, you, the listener, and you, Chris, also as well, probably have that thing where, like, you experience something from your childhood again. It comes back, a smell, a sound, a visual. And you don't have a clear memory, but it brings just back the feeling. Mm-hmm. I was just awash in this feeling of not having seen that or heard that music in so long. And I I think it was probably the first beat-em-up I ever played. Yeah. I had a freaking blast. It was It just brought me back so much. Double Dragon. It was great. Can you, on that version, play two players? Uh, why do you ask? Well, next time I come over. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, listeners, I can no longer see Chris. He's dropped off the screen. I hear screeching tires <laughs> in the, the back distance. of his audio. Uh, yeah, no, you can't. there's a knock we at will. my door. <laughs> and don't you, at the end of that game, don't you fight each other? Isn't that like the climax? You know what? I actually don't know. I don't think I ever got through that game. Well, well, sonny boy. Mark a red X in your calendar. Buckle up, y'all. All right. Look, I'm a little nervous because I feel like I'm a little in the theme of our topic today because we took a nice healthy holiday break and I've jumped back into the saddle of being a podcaster and I'm having trouble remembering how all this works. I was really trying to think tonight of like, how do we do this? When do we say what? What's going on? Chris and I have already re-recorded my intro like nine times. (laughs) Because, and I feel like what's happened is I have leapt into my old podcast body and like, I need you as like an owl to like, tell me what we're supposed to do to get to the end of the episode. You can call me Al. How about that tie in? It worked out with the Graceland. It's amazing. Um, So, (laughs) so we're going to, we're going to do something a little out of the ordinary, but it happens in some episodes. Let's leap forward. From homeroom to history to start to learn about today's topic, which will largely take place in history. Quantum Leap, let's do it. Okay, I'm looking in the mirror. I don't recognize myself. This is not the body I'm familiar with. There is going to be a preponderance of dad jokes. I'm here for all of them, but just once again, buckle up listeners, you're going to have an earful on this episode. Oh boy, here we go. Okay, so in physics, a quantum leap is really just a synonym for a quantum jump. Mm -hmm. So the concept was introduced by Niels Bohr in his 1913 Bohr model, and it describes an abrupt transition, like an electron or an atom or a molecule, from one very clear energy state into another. That's pretty much what a quantum leap really is. Now, the more I dug into that, physicists don't really say quantum leap. I don't know if the show ruined it for him or it's just like passe. No one really says quantum leap in physics. Yeah. But it is a thing. We're not here to cover physics. We're here to cover a remarkable television show from the late 80s and early 90s, Quantum Leap. So, Quantum Leap was an American sci-fi TV series. It was created by Donald Belisario, and it premiered Mm -hmm. on NBC, had five seasons, 97 episodes, Mm. from March 26, 1989 to May 5th, 1993. Now, I could tell you, and you could tell me, what this show is about. But let's hear from Dr. Sam Beckett himself, what the show's really about. It all started when a time travel experiment I was conducting went a little caca. In the blink of a cosmic clock, I went from quantum physicist to Air Force test pilot, which could have been fun if I knew how to fly. Fortunately, I had help. An observer from the project named Al. 
Unfortunately, Al's a hologram, so all he can lend is moral support. Anyway, here I am, bouncing around in time, putting things right that once went wrong, a sort of time-traveling Lone Ranger with Al as my tanto. And I don't even need a mask. Oh, boy. So that's a great synopsis of the show. That came really at the beginning of all of the episodes through about midway of season two. So that's the original synopsis. It works okay, but I'm curious, Ben, let's also play what comes midway through season two and plays, I think, all the way through four. I don't think they have voiceovers in season five, if I right. remember correctly. It's just music. It just comes to music. Yeah. yeah, just the music. They're like, if you don't know the premise by now in season five, get what are out you of here. here. <laughs> what are you even doing here? Get out. So let's play the second version, voiced by Deborah Pratt who does the voice of Ziggy, the supercomputer, which we'll get to. But this is like the second version, and let's play that one right now. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Do you think the second version is a little more refined from the first one? I feel like... You know, they're still getting the hang of the show in the first season and a half. But by the time this comes here, I just think it's a little more refined. Like in the first one, it's like, I'm a, I don't know, time traveling Lone Ranger. Al is my Tonto. Like they're doing, <laughs> referencing other things. He's like, and I don't even need a mask. Whereas this one just seems like a little more concise and well packaged. Yeah, I feel Yay, like Z- nay, do you agree? No, no, I feel like Ziggy's a lot clearer and she does she does great VO work too. Like I like what her expressions in it. I also like Beckett's just cuz it's more personal. Like it's coming from him that's like sure. it's almost like you're finding the journal of the the captain who sank his ship with the snorks. <laughs> captain Ortega, we can't <laughs> get off that story. <laughs> it's the same. I like them both for different reasons. They're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This show's fascinating, you know, that gives a great premise. But it's weird. It's sort of a science fiction shell, but the the yolk, the yolk inside the egg is really a, a drama and a romance and a, a social commentary. It's funny. Really incredible writing, which we'll talk more about. But, you know, that's that's kind of the setup. But where did this come from? First of all, you're like, Ben, why are we starting with the description of physics? It is Quantum Leap, so I did want to explain where the name came from. But, but Lasaria was reading this book called Coming of Age in the Milky Way, which is about kind of like the birth of man through quantum physics. And they explain in that book that like a quantum leap is something, uh, it's like a physical thing that happens that you can't explain. And he just thought that was a really cool phrase. I love that Belisario is reading a physics book in his free time. He's like, right? let me just pick this up. And I feel like it's reading something from Stephen Hawking, like, how much of this am I actually going to understand? Six <laughs> percent? Yeah, right. I don't know. And, and that was the part he hooked on, which maybe maybe he didn't understand it, because the quantum leap in physics has nothing to do with the show. Uh, 
I mean, it has so? to do with like energy movement change? and energy transfer. It makes sense. I mean, it's a very interesting term. Like just sure, quantum it's, leap it's sounds cool. It's very ear catching. So yeah. I get it. I would, me and my more linguistic literary sure. interest rather than science uh, know-how, sure. I would probably latch onto a word like that and be like, ooh, I like it. So you were like, Ben, how are you going to bring Centurion background to this? Well, don't worry. I'm not going to make you wait an hour and a half to find out. Okay. So Belisario co-wrote and co-produced the original Battlestar Galactica series. So that's where I thought you were going with In the with 70s. Okay. Yeah, right. Centurions, right. Like the revival of that series in 2005 was one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I, I love thought you B- were going to say that Sam went back in time to because Centurions that's like a Roman term, right? Isn't that like an old yeah, Roman, Roman Empire or people who Greek? live to be at least a hundred years old? <laughs> Different spelling, but <laughs> yeah. Centenarian. Yeah, right. Sorry, that's that's the one I've been meaning. Centenarian. Oh I think. my but god. Anyway. So okay. After the original B-Star was canceled, they were going to have this revival spinoff called Galactica 1980. And Belisario's concept for it was that the human heroes were going to try and travel back in time, basically trying to stop the creation of the of the Cylons, the Centurions. And so he had that little, like, nugget in his head. The pilot was immediately murdered, dead on arrival. Nobody wanted mm-hmm. it. But he, he had that idea for trying to stop the Cylons. Mm-hmm. So then there's this movie in 1978 called Heaven Can Wait, which is a remake of a 1941 film, Here Comes Mr. Jordan. And Belisario says this movie was a big inspiration for it. So in Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which stars Robert Montgomery, there's this boxer, Joe Pendleton. He dies uh, 50 years early than he's like supposed to because of some accounting error uh, in heaven, according to the movie. I've seen The Good Place. I get it. He gets a second chance as this kind of like millionaire playboy kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So that's a seed. So we've got the go back in time to fix stuff. We've got you get another chance to live another life to come back. And the last of the three is the time tunnel. Did you read about this? The time tunnel? I did. So what do you want to tell us like when and what was the time tunnel? Yeah. So apparently it's a TV series from 66 and it also deals with a government funded project that's being threatened to have its funding cut off. Sounds familiar. And the main character has to go inside the project to prove it works and ultimately gets lost inside. Sounds familiar. Yeah. It's almost mirror premise of how this show kicks off. Yeah, and so this is 30 episodes in the late 60s. Again, we do 80s high because we want you to know where the things today you like, you need to know they had an origin in the 80s because they're awesome. If you want to know where Quantum Leap came from, you can go back and check out Here Comes Mr. Jordan, uh, the failed pilot of Galactica (laughs) and the Time Tunnel. So he pitches the show because he really wanted to do this anthology series about two characters who were kind of doing this time travel at the time to NBC president Brandon Tartikoff. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Tartikoff did love the idea. He was like, this is great. What I think is really interesting is there are very specific rules in Quantum Leap's time travel. Did you you come across the rules of time travel? Okay, let's see how many I can get. Okay, good luck. I believe in you. A lot of these have an asterisk because some of them do get broken, but you can only jump within your lifetime. Yep. You are jumping into ordinary people. Uh Uh-huh. For the most part, asterisk. For the most part, asterisk. Um, Later seasons, it's kind of like, let's get a little more creative. Uh, Let's see. Another one would be a bit of amnesia and confusion, particularly when coming out of the leap. Oh, yeah. And another rule is Al is a hollow projection that only Sam can see. Big asterisk. (laughs) But mostly true. Yeah. 
I, I don't know if those are rules per se, but those are at least concepts that come through in a lot of episodes. Am I missing any time travel no, rules? Those, those are the solid hallmarks. And the owl thing okay. I want to get back to about like being the hologram, because that was something I missed as a kid. But uh, the only other like kind of rule is that he can see himself in the mirror, but it's not him, Sam Beckett. That's when he can see who he's embodying at the time. Yes, that's right. Because he is inhabiting a person arguably replacing there's a lot we can get into another asterisk as to as to how exactly that works what happens to the original person where did oh they go I, we do we need to talk about that though we will body get to that. swap mind swap we're gonna get a we're getting oh ahead of ourselves God. but there's a whole lot of debate here which is fascinating so i want to get into a little bit about the production of this show because it is harried and it's such a finely polished in my opinion final product it's nuts yeah. what was behind the scenes so I encourage you to go out there. I, f- I already forget, lost the publication. I forget what it was. But July 2020, there's this awesome interview with cinematographer Michael Watkins, mm. who was the DP on like two thirds of the episodes of it. And he gives an amazing behind the scenes look of like how the show was made. First of all, it's episodic. So you're getting different directors all the time. But I still feel like the show largely has the same feel between most episodes. The DP, the director of photography, is one of the only through lines who provides continuity. That's the person who like makes sure the show is shot the same, it's kind of the same pacing between shots, how you're panning, and really like helps keep the thread of the story. So I thought that was really interesting. But each episode is only produced in eight days. That's fast. And it's a 44-minute yeah. run. The crew only gets the script five or six days before they shoot the show. So they shoot the show in like two days. Two, three days, which is insane pacing. So they have five or six days to get ready to produce the show, set everything up. So for nine or 10 months, the crew is like on it 100% off, virtually no time off, just going nuts. And the crazy part here is like, you know, most sitcoms, you're going to the same sets all the time. Doogie Howser's bedroom, Rachel or Frazier's apartment. It's there. And the actors just show up and you shoot it again. With Quantum Leap, every week... You've got a whole different setting in time. You've got to find cars of a different time period, different clothing, like get the rights to different music that's playing on the radio. Like what a crazy production. Well, did you see what they did for that? What did they do for that? They used pre-existing sets. What? So a lot of those locations they didn't create for the show because they were on the universal lot for something that was being shot. And so Belisario said that he and the writers would like go around universal lot finding sets and be like, oh, how could we use this set for the show? How could we do something? So they were able to recycle or repurpose existing sets for their show and thereby not incur the production time or the budget to make them, which is brilliant because to your point, it's so varied where they are. The only other option is you would have to have these very tight contained shots just to not like to pull away from the scope to make it look like you're you know i'm in the middle east now i'm in you know a beachfront but it would look really cheap but they look nice because they kind of piggybacked off of what was already there okay i'm so glad you caught that the only thing that's that carries over uh would be that um it's like the lab of quantum like the lab or the waiting room they call it later There's not much to that room, and they rarely go to it in the entire run. Which I think was largely repurposed into the Power Rangers base in the 90s. <laughs> it was just a big blue room with neon lights in the middle. Oh, gosh. I, you know what, with our 80s love, though, and our research, you know what I would love? Now that you've explained, they would just go around the Universal backlot looking for sets. 
You know, Gremlins and Back to the Future both have the same like 1955 yeah. town square with the clock tower. I wonder if there's like a 1950s episode of Quantum Leap that takes place in that town square. You still have like 90 episodes to watch and find out. <laughs> I will. I will binge this and find it. I find the theme song to be really catchy and really iconic of that like late 80s, early 90s sitcom. It was uh, written by Mike Post, who uh, also did Law and Order. Dun, yes. dun, 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 dun. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Law and Order SVU, The A-Team. The A-Team is great. Dun, dun, dun. But it's also like has a great narration to it. Yeah, but that one's a little more bombastic. It's a little know, intense. W- which is necessary for the A-Team. It's great. Let me see. Just others that other people will recognize. NYPD Blue, Renegade, The Rockford Files, LA Law, Magnum P.I., and Hill Street Blues are all Mike posts. So it's sort of the pantheon that Quantum Leap sits Way in. Way to go, Mike. Yeah. I, I love this theme song. It's good. Yeah. So I would like to get into the characters next, the cast. All right. That's not like, was that all right? That's going to take us three minutes. Let's go. Right. It's a very tight cast, but I'm going to go into every episode. No. So our star, as we said, uh, Sam Beckett is played by Scott Bakula. Mm-hmm. And Scott's a household name. Most people recognize the name Scott Bakula. Uh, born in St. Louis in October 1954, sang for the St. Louis Symphony. I think he does all his singing in the show. Like whenever there's this episode where he's a performer, I, I believe he's singing everything. And he sounds, we'll get to it, but did you watch any musical episodes? Uh, I watched one where he sang John Lennon's Imagine. It was oh, very, very good. Makes the oh little my girl God. cry. Oh my God. He's a yeah. phenomenal singer. He studied law at the University of Kansas until his sophomore year. When he left, he dropped out to pursue acting. And you really didn't do a lot before landing Quantum Leap on TV, on the screen. Probably most notably, he was on Matlock. But like that was, that was about it. Hmm. Okay. Sam Beckett, like Scott Bakula, is very multi-talented. So the background on Sam Beckett, he has six doctoral degrees, a black belt and kung fu, a photographic memory, a near virtuosic musical talent, would agree, allowing him to easily slip into the shoes of all these people he kind of jumps into. How do you feel about that background? Six doctorates sounds a little... That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a little too much. If he has six doctorates, he's got to be in his 60s. <laughs> well, the show's yeah, good. For, takes time. for his age, that feels like a lot. And I Unless get it. Honorary. He's a genius. Are they honorary, do you think? They were just like, thanks for your donation for the West Wing of our new physics lab. Either that or they're all like a sub thing of physics, so they're all interrelated. <laughs> Very like, easy. Like, I don't know that they I don't know that they ever articulated what the degrees were. That's no. what I need receipts. I need to see your degrees, sir. I need he's to like, see them. He's like, I've already taken eighty seven percent of the classes for this next degree. I guess I'll just take two more and get it. Why not? Then show us the transcripts. Show Come us the on, tra- Sam. Where show the us the transcripts. Sam. Where are the transcripts? <laughs> so he is accompanied by his hologram of his coworker and friend, Admiral. Did you know he was an admiral? He's an admiral. I did. I mean, he's usually well, not always, but he sometimes is wearing the uh, you know the admiral regalia. He's in his white dresses. Yeah. Yeah. Admiral Al Calavici, played by Dean Stockwell. Yeah. And as you said, only Sam can hear him. He's a hologram from the future. And see him. Sorry, hear and see him. And maybe you can help me figure this part out. He can follow Sam as Sam leaps to try and help him understand what's going on around him and help him figure out the problem. Did they ever explain how the Quantum Leap Project or Al can like pinpoint where Sam Beckett is in time? I believe Ziggy is able to locate. Ziggy can. Yeah, okay. so we're jumping a little ahead with Ziggy, but I believe Ziggy can locate where Sam is, which allows Al to astrally project himself, Ooh. holographically project himself. Yeah, we'll talk about that more for sure. Yeah. And so Dean plays this character that on one hand is empathetic and touching and deep and reflective. 
And on the other hand is this like womanizing cigar smoking five time divorcee who like is a hound dog for every female they encounter. Oh my like, gosh. Whoa, Al. Yeah. Calm down a little bit. He's a little dense. But he was like a POW in Vietnam. He was he participated in the civil rights movement. Like he's this really interesting multifaceted character. Yeah, I think over the course of the show, you get to learn a lot more of his backstory, which kind of fills in some blanks because initially he's just very two-dimensional and in some ways likable and in some ways not super likable. Yeah. So Dean had kind of done some movies and TVs for some years, but he started to really get noticed when he did 1986's Blue Velvet with David Lynch. And then he got an Oscar nomination in 1988 for Married to the Mob. You know, after that, I, I love this actor, Dennis Hopper tells Dean, never do TV, man. Yeah. You, you now have an Academy Award for Married to the Mob. Don't go television. But Dean read this script and he's like, you know what? I know Dennis Hopper's kind of like this big deal, but I'm going to do it. And jumping ahead, he was nominated for four Emmys and four Golden Globes for his performance in it. Like he, yeah. he crushed it. So he's great. That's really the main cast. I mean, We're Sam, Sam and Al. <laughs> so moving on to chemistry. No, as you said, we've got Deborah Pratt, who was uh, Belisario's wife and also another executive producer on the show. She voices Ziggy, which, you know, how do you explain what Ziggy is? Ziggy's not necessarily a person. It's a supercomputer. It's yeah. an advanced AI, artificial intelligence, that at first doesn't have a voice. Like, I don't know yeah. exactly when the voice comes into play. But like in the first season, especially, you don't hear Ziggy say anything. It's usually just interacting through a little like tablet or device that Al has, but eventually gets a voice through, yeah, Deborah Pratt. And then like the other members of the Quantum Leap team, like randomly make appearances throughout the episodes. You've got Irving Gushy Gushman, uh, the project's head programmer, Dr. Verbena Beeks. You've got the project psychiatrist, Tina Martinez. The project's medical technician and Al's partner, Dr. Donna Lease, and Sam's wife and the project director. Which I will say, for the time, the whole sci-fi team is mostly women running this big yeah. science project, the ladies, which is which is cool. That's a great, unique thing that was happening at the time. Yeah, for sure. Not that these were actors making appearances, but he does encounter real-life historical figures. It's not every episode is not really real of something that definitely specifically happened, but he runs into Buddy Holly and Michael Jackson and Bill Clinton, Woody Allen, Stephen King, Chubby Checker, Chubby Checker, Sylvester Stallone, Marilyn Monroe. And so, you know, there's some good episodes with those characters as well. Anything else about the cast you want to get into? I mean, that's it. There's a million people who show up for an episode or two. And I'll just say, like, I saw so many familiar faces from other yeah. movies and shows. Like, there's yeah. too many to name. It's kind of like when I watch old Seinfeld episodes and I'm like, oh, my God, that's that actor. She goes on to play Skylar in uh, Breaking Bad. You know, <laughs> oh, she's in Sex in the City. Oh, my gosh. You know, like, you see all these familiar faces and it's wild. And I had that experience watching these episodes. But, my gosh, every episode introduces, like, five to ten new actors oh, yeah. pretty oh, much yeah. i had the earlier throwaway with rachel's apartment did you catch the vietnam episode i did jennifer aniston plays a nurse in the hospital oh i missed that i know tia carrera's in that episode right, too. tia carrera's in it too right yeah yeah That's yeah great. so for a show that largely focuses on history we have been able to cover the show's history itself in quite a short amount of time i think that's all we've got uh, if you're comfortable with it, Ziggy says we've accomplished our mission here in history, and we could actually leap into chemistry if you're ready. 
Well, I'm never ready, but I'll be mid sane or doing something and I'll just start to phase out and. <laughs> oh my God, Chris, I'm so glad you're here. You made it. Okay, I didn't know when I was traveling if we would both end up in the same class. Are we still the right? Are we the same people? The question is not where the hell are we? The question is when the when hell are, are we? we? <laughs> Okay, you did tell us a little bit, I think when I introduced this topic, that you hadn't really watched Quantum Leap. Now that you've sort of done your homework, did it trigger any memories? Had you like accidentally clicked through an episode being replayed on USA Channel or anything? Yeah, so I did go back and really try to think about this. I know I did not watch this as a kid. You know, this show was on, it premiered, I was 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. In 89. And I'm not really the target audience at that time for this kind of show. This is not really aimed at a younger audience. No. This is more adult concepts. There's there's nothing that a 10-year-old kid's really going to latch on to. Growing up, our house, we weren't really that much into sci-fi. Like, it just wasn't a thing. Like, Star Trek, the original, or yeah, The Next yeah. Generation wasn't on, all that kind of stuff. My dad is the closest person. I actually texted him today, and I was like, did you ever watch Quantum Leap? And he's like, eh, watched a few episodes, couldn't get into it. I was uh, like, yeah. okay, all right. So, no, and the funny thing is, my brother, I was back home in Ohio for the holidays, and we were trying to remember how the time travel worked. Oh, yeah. Like, what's the actual concept? And sitting next to him is my 15-year-old nephew, and Aaron says, I think he inhabits other people's bodies. And we were like... You might be right. Like, none of us could come up with it. My stepdad was sitting next to us. He couldn't come up with it. But Aaron was right. So shout out. He he knew the premise. And I was like, did Crush you watch it, the revival? And he said no. So I don't know how he got it, but the younger generation schooled us, and it was amazing. So, well done. Well yeah. done, Aaron. Uh, but yeah, I, I tried to see if I was missing something, if I had a Swiss cheese memory, uh, as the show <laughs> likes to say. Uh, but the answer is no. So this was really for me a like fresh watch. There was was really no nostalgia other than the nostalgia of seeing a different time period or, you know, there's even that phenomenon we talked about, I think in our first episode. I was just going to say that. Yes. Nostalgia for a time period you did not live in. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which I don't remember if there was like a, I don't think there's a term for that. Like, right, right. Maybe there is a German term that's like 38 syllables, which means nostalgia for a time period you never lived through. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a little, little more Swedish. Swedish. That was a little Swedish. That was a little Swedish. I've been watching a lot of Muppet Family Christmas. There it is. Uh, this season. So remind us about you. First off, what made you choose this topic and what were your early memories, if well, any? Well, okay. I chose this topic for a couple of reasons. The main one is that I can't remember the last time we did a live action TV sitcom. I know we did ALF. Is this a sitcom, though? Well, you know what I mean. Like, TV series. Like, a live-action okay. TV series. No, I, I, I don't ask that to, like, question you. I'm just like, what is the genre? Like, what is the... Is it drama? Is it sitcom? Is he, it... No, Belisario had, things? like, a phrase for it. Hold on. It's kind of a mix, if you think about it. It's yeah. sci-fi. It's it's kind of sitcom It's part comedy. It's part drama. There's plenty of romance in it. There's some romance. There's some, There's romance some sci-fi. In it. There's some um, sci-fi. So, okay. Belisario called it an anthology. Sure. Was his label he slapped on it. Which, to me, just means episodic. Yeah. Self-contained. 
This shares a lot of DNA with procedural dramas, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we can talk about that, but I'm sorry. I, I derailed your conversation about you and your experience <sighs> and why you chose it. So <laughs> no, we'll get we'll get back to episode. I'm leaping all over the map here. Look so at let's you. let's quantumly go back in time Ooh. and you tell us. Okay. And just like I thought it was kind of funny that it was it seemed on theme of like doing your news resolutions, trying to change for the better, see if you can write your historic transgressions and Wait, man. is this a leap year? So it's not next year's a leap oh, year. I did check. Man. 2024 is the next leap year. And we're going to get canceled before then, so we oh can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> what are we, we going to get canceled for? Probably uh, the angry uh, centurions, centurions, <laughs> for, for mispronouncing they are. Our listenership above 100. The FCC is going to block our signal. FCC will <laughs> let me be. Uh, so my history, I don't have a clear memory of it, but I was definitely, you know, for some reason, I was a little bit younger than your nephew. I was probably in my very early teens when I found this show, and I don't know why, but I was hooked. It felt like a show that I was watching something that was I knew was for adults, that it wasn't for me, which kind of felt it feel a little like forbidden fruit. Like not in an adult sure. way that like Murder, She Wrote and Matlock are, but like sure. something of like there are some heavy topics here that I knew were adult topics that were really interesting to me as a teenager, like starting to broaden out into the world and learning about history. It's clearly not a show geared toward teenagers. No, no. It's an adult wishbone. You know, if you liked the Jack Russell Terrier wishbone, <laughs> it would go through history. <laughs> it's a grown-up wishbone. No, I, but like I was just really captivated by the concept. Like a lot of fans say out there when you go and read forums or, or write-ups on it, it's such a good hook. Such an awesome tease that you would see Sam appear in a body, see what situation he was in, see that it was overwhelming and troublesome. You'd say, oh boy. And then the credits would roll. You'd be like, oh my God, I have to wait a week to find out. What is he going to do? Where is he? Like, that was great. That was such yeah. a cool mechanic. And I think it has such a, a catchy premise too, to put right what once went wrong. It's also an interesting wording of that. Yeah. You could say to right the wrongs. That just doesn't sound like right the wrongs of the past. No. Sounds very pedestrian. Sounds very like, eh. But when you say we strive to put right what once went wrong, that to me is like, that's something you put in like an official document when you start a country. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like something that Abraham Lincoln would say right. from a, a freaking lectern. Like, there's just something captivating about that premise that I was like, ooh, I like that. And your little catch on that nugget is something that keeps me coming back, is I find the writing in this show phenomenal. I love mm. the writing in Quantum Leap. I'm really captivated by the stories, the dialogue. It's just written so intelligently. And we're going to mm -hmm. find out, Ziggy... Uh, is is part of that a lot? You know, she really contributed a lot of ideas. Not Ziggy the uh, computer, but the executive producer and VO. You know, we asked our uh, class of eighties high. You know, what do you remember about this? How'd you get into Quantum Leap? So Ziggy Nick writes: When I was in the eighth grade, I had to live with my grandparents for the school year, and I would always watch Quantum Leap at four o'clock and five o'clock between school and dinner. It was a great way to have some routine and grounding at a very tumultuous time in my life. Which is interesting. You, you think of Sam Beckett, very tumultuous time in his life, trying to find an anchor. Yeah. And Ziggy Nick found the anchor in his tumultuity, tumultuousness. So you watched some episodes. Did you do some homework for this I topic? I sure did, sir. I did a lot of homework. So I watched all of the first season. Oh, wow. I watched about half of season two. 
Okay. And then I pulled a couple other episodes from other seasons. You know, I found some listicles of like best episodes. So I pulled a couple. Uh, I think they're from season three, The Leap Home, parts one and two. And then I, of course, watched the finale because I wanted to see how the show wraps up. Yeah, so I don't know what that ends up being episode numbers wise, somewhere between maybe like 15 and maybe 20, but that's probably too high. That's a deep dive. That's awesome. My holidays were very busy. So I was able, I feel terrible about this. I was able to pull off three episodes. I went out and looked at some like best of quantum leap lists and I sort of cross tabulated them like a good six doctoral physicist would. And I picked the best three episodes from the 80s. And that's, that's kind of what I dove into for my homework. All right, which were? May 3rd, 1989's The Color of Truth. Mm, great episode. Which is basically driving Miss Daisy, but Miss Daisy is Mrs. Deagle from Gremlins. That's that's basically what it is. No, she's no, not she's, that bad. She is redeemed by the end, but she starts out awful. I She was driving me nuts. I mean, yes, she, she's not great, but Mrs. Deagle was like a hateful woman. This, this was just an ignorant old lady of her yeah. time. Mrs. Deagle was a, she wanted to murder a dog and make that's it true. a coat. She was that's, Cruella DeVille. That's true. This, uh, this woman did not want to kill a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Miss yeah. Melanie, Miss Melanie. Okay, and then what other ones? Uh, the second one I watched was Jimmy from November 22nd, 1989. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And the last one I watched was uh, right before the holidays, December 6th, 1989, Catch a Falling Star. Okay. Those are the three I dove into, which is hard. This is going to be difficult because I went to watch the best of the best. I looked for the lists of the best Quantum Leap episodes, so I kind of missed out on maybe ones that weren't so great. I just don't remember them. Well, so I saw two of those. I saw Color of Truth and Jimmy. I did not watch Catch a Falling Star, so we can kind of talk about some of those. But um, I do want to go back to the Color of Truth because I will say this is episode seven of the nine season one episodes. Yeah, right, right. And the first two are like the pilot part one and two, setting up the entire show premise pretty much. And as I'm going through watching them, I'm like, Okay, I get what this show is about. He jumps into this person. He experiences their life. Okay, I get it. There's five seasons of this. And then episode seven comes around. And I was like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) Because this is really the first episode where they tackle something huge. And they don't just go light. They swing for the fences on this one. Holy cow, do they? Because they're tackling segregation and racism in, is it the 50s, I think? 1955 in Red Dog, Alabama. In Alabama. So we're talking a deep southern state. We're talking a very tumultuous time in our history, uh, particularly for people of color. And like you said, it's kind of like Driving Miss Daisy. There's this man who is like a... um, I don't know what you would call him. Chauffeur, Aaron Runner, yeah. Uh, Of this old woman who lives in this, it's very old South type of a place. And Sam plays this black character. This is the first time he leaps into someone who's not a white guy. Yeah, yeah. Before he leaps into a woman, uh, which he will eventually do, I think in season two. But yeah, so like it, God, what other movie does it remind me of? Is it Fried Green Tomatoes? Is we did there... we did 1985's The Color Purple, and I, I was thinking of that while we were while I was watching that episode. Well, you watched it. I unfortunately did not rewatch Color Purple, but oh, right. um, Fried Green Tomatoes has a little bit of the, it. It felt yeah. a little bit of that era as well. But anyway, it was I think 
the first time where we saw, okay, we can tackle something big by empathizing with somebody not like ourselves, yeah. literally putting ourselves in someone else's shoes yeah. through this character and understanding their life and that time of history that not all of us have experienced. And that one I thought was just very powerful. And I was like, okay, now we've got a show. Yeah, I'm glad that was the trigger for you. I mean, I wrote that I was like, I didn't know, I couldn't remember, because I was a little kid at the time, that like 80s TV could have this level of drama and acting and writing. Like I thought it was so well done. Uh, It is hard to like, hear the n-word so much but it was part of like setting the stage of like what was going on down there yeah and i'm a little thrown off because like she hears al right like the whole thing is trying to stop her from dying in a train crash on her car and al's like screaming at her to stop the car and she like does right she hears al yeah so this is maybe the first time where we see okay so in the show it's explained that animals can see him. Oh, I forgot about that. Right. Sometimes I think very young children. So he's a ghost. Apparently people with mental illness can see him. Okay. There's another episode where someone is dying and it's the episode about Vietnam actually. Okay. And this reporter is killed and she looks up and sees Al and and she says something to him. Oh, interesting. So I just wonder, is this a near death experience, if you will, where you know, the, the gravity of the situation oh, forces yeah. her to kind of see through, you know, whatever the the invisible barrier is. I don't know. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's a lot of times in this show where they they will take creative liberties in service of the story. Sure, sure, sure. There's a little deus ex machina going on here. Yeah. And I think this is one of the earlier examples of that. Talking about tackling big topics. So the, the second one I watched was Jimmy. Mm. And I picked it for two reasons. One, it's it's regarded as one of the best episodes ever made. But second, because my parents were visiting and my dad volunteers his time for a nonprofit that helps people with different kinds of intellectual disabilities find work. You know, and so I wanted to watch with him and get his reaction on it. Right. And again, for the listener, you know, he jumps into this character, Jimmy, who's younger brother. Um, he has Down syndrome in the episode. His goal is to land a job and keep a job. That's all he's got to yeah. do. But you're in this time of the late 60s where that is completely unaccepted by a society. Everyone doesn't think people of those abilities can do anything. In fact, institutionalization is often... Yeah. I think what he's threatened with, more or less, like if he can't get a job or whatever, he'll be institutionalized. Right, right. And if he's stuck in an institution, he doesn't solve the problem. And he's like, Scott Bakula is trapped forever. Right. But like The Color Truth, huge topic they cover. And like The Color Truth... Amazing acting, especially yeah. Stockwell has like this monologue that like what makes you want to ball at the end of it. Like it's so good. Also like the color truth, hard to hear the R word over and over again, yes. talking about people like that. I was going to say there are a lot of uses of that word. And it's one of those things that you don't realize you don't hear that word said on television or anywhere anymore. And when yeah. you hear it, it hits hard. And even when... People are not using that as a pejorative, but it's more like just talking about somebody with an intellectual disability yeah. and they're just using that word. It's just, it's very grating to hear and you're like, ooh, I don't like this. I don't like this. And I don't know, like when, I was trying to pinpoint this, I should have done better homework. I'm a, Guys, I'm not like an A plus student. I'm like a B student. I'm not going to lie. You, you came back from break. You were not committed to your homework. <laughs> like, it's fine. Give, give it's me fine. Till, like, March and I'll be back at the speed. But like, I don't, I don't know when in history that word 
became in real history, not quantum leap history, far more unaccepted because in the episode, like no one's flinching at it when people are using the word. Honestly, I think it's like the early mid two thousands. Oh God, that took way too long. Like there was that whole campaign, like uh, what is it? Spread the word to end the word. I think oh, is like okay. part cool. of what that campaign That's was. Good. I think that was like in the mid or even late aughts. It's so weird to say that, like the yeah, two thousand two thousand nine era, aughts. the aughts. But yeah, it's something like that. So more recent than I think a lot of people remember or realize. Yeah, but it's a it's a remarkable episode. It's a beautiful episode. I loved yeah. it. And uh, to your point of like, oh my God, that guy went on to do that thing. Michael Madsen is like the main bully on the docks who's like really beaten up on uh, Sam. Yeah. And he's in like every Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You're yeah. like, who's that guy? He's like the dude who does the dance in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Like, I don't know that I came here tonight. Like, he's great. He plays Bud in Kill Bill. Yeah. Yes, right. The last one, which I don't need, I won't hang on so long because you didn't watch it also, was uh, Catch a Falling Star, which is like the perfect nightmare scenario for most people. He wakes up as an actor about to go on stage and like doesn't know what show he's in or the lines or anything. <laughs> he's like, oh boy. Oh boy. And it was just really good. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was one. It was supposed to be one of the best. I think the thing that really stuck out to me is sort of he's got to take over for the main actor who's a raging alcoholic on set. Mm. And it was just, it was something culturally you don't see anymore in pop culture or even even socially where like everybody still worshipped this guy this guy was like an amazing actor but he's hammered during the performance he's showing up late to the performance and to rehearsals but nobody steps on his toes because like he is don quixote he is the most amazing actor and like right. today unless you're the boss's son you show up late to work or work drunk you're fired it's game it doesn't matter how good you are you're out like mm. I just don't think that's tolerated anyway. It's it's definitely not like the charming thing. Like in the episode, he's charming and everybody loves how hammered he is and how funny You don't he think is. for like talented actors, writers, creative people that those leeways aren't given? I I think it still happens. I spent a little time in the biz, but that was in a very specific area. Yeah, I'm not saying anyone can do it, but if you have talent, I think you still can get a little bit of a pass on that. Maybe, but I think it's more like a... I don't think it's viewed like this episode paints it very charmingly. Like, oh, he's so funny. Such a fun, like fun drunk. I think like in sure. modern times you'd be like, well, he's already signed the contract. We just have to put up with his really irritating antics and we just got to make it through this day. Just stay strong cast. We're, we're going to do this. Like, I think it's, I don't know the the charmingness of that. I don't think it's accepted anymore. That That's what really stuck out for me in that episode. Fair enough. Yeah. Here's the thing. By the end of the episode, you are watching a full on beautiful production of Men of La Mancha. Mm. And it is so well done. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm watching science fiction right now. What is happening? Like, it's a beautiful stage performance of it. And even in the credits, they like cut to like the real cast who was putting it on and helped the Quantum Leap production crew do it. It's awesome. It's a great episode. Nice. So now you are going to give us a breakdown of all 15 episodes <laughs> you went through. No, are there any that really stuck out to you, either for better or for worse? Yeah, I'm going to hit a couple of high notes. So another one in season two is the Americanization of Machiko. Oh, okay. And if I'm remembering the summary correctly, a U.S. Navy sailor comes back home after a war and he has a wife from Japan that he's brought back mm -hmm. and she's facing a lot of adversity and hate crimes toward her um, because she's Japanese. And so that's like a another one that, again, kind of has that good lesson at the end where people who are prejudiced finally kind of, I wouldn't say get their comeuppance, 
you know, there's there's kind of the people who are prejudiced because they're ignorant and the people who are prejudiced because they're just hateful. Yeah, right. And you kind of encounter both of those, again, similarly to the color of truth. Yeah, you have right. your just, you're awful, you know, we're going to burn a cross on your front lawn, people. And then you have the old lady who's just ignorant and doesn't know better. And she, her eyes are opened in the in the show. Blind Faith is another one where he plays a blind musician, a piano player. Oh, cool. There's like an interesting part where he actually, I can't remember what happens, but he actually loses his eyesight for a little bit. He starts seeing like these blurry images and is worried that like the leap may have made him permanently sightless, um, which would be a terrifying thing to, you know, experience. I think that was it from two. I'm looking through here. I did go then to season three. So the first two episodes are the leap home part one and two. Yeah, right. Okay. Part one, he's young Sam Beckett. He's a younger version of himself. And he's not there to save his family, but his father died of cancer because he smoked a lot. And his brother dies in Vietnam. So he's trying to like help his family. And Al keeps telling him like, this is not your mission. You can't save these people. Oh, man. And Sam's like, why am I saving strangers when I can't even save my own family? Oh, my God. So it's really hard. And like, he's trying to convince his brother not to go to Vietnam. But his brother's like, why don't you support America? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. So there's this really challenging, like, conversations with that. He's trying to convince his dad of all the health risks of smoking. And there's this great part where... He's talking to his younger sister, who, by the way, is Marty Page from Plain Strange and Automobiles. What? Oh, my God. That's awesome. He's talking about John Lennon and the Beatles. Anyway, he starts singing Imagine with his guitar. It's yeah. a beautiful rendition. Again, Scott Bakula's amazing voice. And, like, the girl starts crying because now she's, like, afraid he actually is from the future, which he's been trying to convince them. And she's like, well, if you're from the future, then that means our brother's going to die. And so she has this whole breakdown. Oh, my God. That little kid actress actually does really cry. She was, she, oh my God. she to quote, says she was very moved by Scott Bakula's guitar playing and singing. And she really cried in that scene. It's probably the greatest scene I watched. Oh, wow. It's okay. him singing it and her reaction because you just see her like smile as he's singing and you see her slowly transform and do like this crying, torn apart little girl and like the tears running down her face. Oh my God. She did an amazing job for such a young actor. Like, oh my God. Yeah, killed it. So at the end of this episode, he jumps ahead and he's in Vietnam and he's serving alongside his brother. And it's like a day or two before his brother is going to be killed in action. And is this the one I, you know, I tried to read a lot, but I failed on watching. Is this one that's like all shaky cam? Like it's it's shot with a freehand camera? I don't think so. Okay, there's a Vietnam War episode, and maybe this is where Hmm. I got stuff mixed up with Jennifer Aniston, where there's like a Vietnam one. It may not be his brother, but it's all all shot with uh, like a hand cam to make it more action-y and intense. Okay, not this one. Okay, 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 okay. But he plays this guy named Herbert Magic Williams, and he's called Magic because he's like magically escaped all of these deadly scenarios. This name will come back. Uh, Sure will. And so, uh, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to watch this one. Yeah. Uh, but it's him serving alongside his brother, and there's this whole mission. This is the one that has Tia Carrera in it. Yeah. I also recognize an actor who shows up in Babylon 5, which is another sci-fi Amazing. show I really like. Well done. Anyway, so it's a really good episode, but there's a, a reporter. She's photographing everything, played by Andrea Thompson. She's the one that was on Babylon 5. 
And so oh, she's nice. this reporter and she's kind of like, you know, documenting. She's embedded with this group of soldiers. Well, long story short, she ends up getting the shots of the uh, Viet Cong soldiers taking this soldier, this American soldier away. And she gets these photos of him. She ends up dying in this timeline. The brother doesn't die yet, uh, but the photos come back for which she's going to win a Pulitzer. And Sam looks at the photos and the POW who's being taken away, it's Al Calavici. What? Oh my God. Because he was captured by the Viet Cong. Oh, and so he's like, for like seven years, he's imprisoned uh, for when he served in Vietnam. And so it's just wild. And that's the time frame where because he's gone, his first wife, you know, he's presumed dead. He's right. KIA killed in action. So she ends up remarrying. And that's the only wife he ever loved. So he's been married five times. But that first wife, Beth, was the only one he ever loved. But she thought he died. So she ends up remarrying. Oh and that's going to come back to the finale. Yeah, that is going to come so back. So that was like a really good episode. And I was like, this show is going to torture Sam Beckett by watching his brother die yes. in action. Oh, my but God. But he doesn't end up dying there, but he still can't undo his brother's death. So at some point later, he doesn't make it. Right, 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 right. An amazing episode. Very well done. That's like a kickoff to season three. That my starts goodness. the season? My, that's mm-hmm. awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, I watched a couple episodes. I don't remember which ones they were, where he turns into a woman And there's a really interesting thing they do in the show where normally when he's the person, he doesn't take on any of their physical attributes. Sometimes they wear glasses and he'll have glasses on. Sometimes he'll wear the clothes of the person of the era. I guess he normally does the clothes part. But when he's a woman, he has like a wig on. Yeah, (laughs) it's a pretty obvious wig. Lipstick and makeup. And I was just wondering, why is it when he's a woman, he looks like... A woman, you know, a man in drag, if you will. But thankfully, I mean, I'm not advocating for them doing this, but like when he's in like somebody else of a different ethnicity, he doesn't look any different. Yeah, right. Which of course we wouldn't want them to do. And thankfully they didn't do any kind of like brown or black face. But I'm just like, but why did he have to look like a woman? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I mean, leaps into another body. He wears the clothes of the character he's in, but none of the physical features translate to when you see him. Like if the person's shorter, he's not shorter. If the person is overweight, he's not overweight. So to me, it felt like a thing of the time where they're like, well, if he's a woman and these men are hitting on her, like having a man hit on a man is a little oh, too interesting. far. Uh, yeah. So we'll soften it a little bit by having him look like, obviously not like a woman. He looks wow. like Scott Bakula in a wig and makeup. But I don't know. Like I, I just, I wondered about that. And it was like a weird inconsistency, I and I couldn't why. quite peg why. I, I, again, or was I, it done for the humor of like seeing see, Scott Bakula dress like a woman? It's like what are the what's funny in the '80s, and it's like oh, cross dressing is still pretty hilarious. Like I don't, man, that's interesting. Well, I didn't watch an episode where he jumped into a woman's body, so I didn't like I didn't catch that. But that's an interesting like inconsistency. And like one of the earlier ones, like Al is actually attracted to him. And well, of course, like, Al he's like, is. Oh, he's like, I can't take my eyes off of you. You know, it's just like <laughs> how's a horn dog? Al's like the old Disney cartoon with the wolf that the tongue comes out like on the table. Yeah, he's a freaking maniac, man. All right, which other ones did you love or hate? What else did you see? So I wanted to watch the one with Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, that's supposed to be really good. And the reason is, is Belisario actually served in the Marine Corps with Lee Harvey freaking Oswald. That's amazing. So this is one of those examples where he's like, I'm going to break the rule a little bit. 
and talk about something like a famous, obviously, you know, I mean, national, if not global kind of event with the assassination of JFK. I didn't get a chance to watch it. That's when I wanted to. It was on my list. I just didn't get to it. You'll appreciate I'm in the same boat. It was on my list to watch and I just didn't get around to it. And I think that takes us all the way to the very last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tell us about the finale. if we're ready to talk about this one, sure. is the finale mirror image. And in this one, he jumps. He's at this bar, restaurant kind of place. He comes inside and he's talking to the bartender. Kind of normal conversation. You know, it's the same old shtick. And he looks in the mirror and he sees Sam Beckett. Mm-hmm. He's himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> And the whole episode really takes a long time to get somewhere, but you start to understand this bartender knows more than he's letting on. Yeah. And the actor who plays the bartender is an actor that we see in the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. But he's not exactly the same character. And then we see Jimmy's brother, the guy who plays Jimmy's brother in that episode, come in, but he doesn't recognize Beckett. And he's like, I have a brother down syndrome, but his name is Peter. So like, details are off it's just really <laughs> you don't quite know what's going on and the bar is called al's place so you're yeah, like right. wait a minute what's going on here who runs this bar who's really pulling the strings al and ziggy are having a hard time locating sam because he's kind of like jumped out of an odd place but what happens he's there on his birthday but it's not just his birthday it's his birth year oh and so they had been searching like from year one all the way to current. They're like, we can't find Sam anywhere, but they didn't think to look on his actual birth date. Can you imagine if he had leapt like into Sam baby? Like, what is he <laughs> supposed to do? What mission could he understand? What's I he mean, he do? does leap into a monkey. Oh, I do want to talk about that one. That's going to be neat. But I don't think they ever had him jump into a baby. Also, Dracula, like a, a vampire? I need to see the Dracula did. episode. It's going to be weird. So that's clearly an episode that Broke the mold and the 100%. rules because, oh my goodness. I wonder if oh it's like a Halloween special or something. I'd be so curious. Oh man, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, so back to this finale. Basically, all these pieces come together and you realize they're all about Al. Yeah. The bartender is like, you know, you have control over your destiny. No one else does. You can leap home if you want to. And he's like, well, why don't I? And he's like, maybe there's unfinished business. Long story short, Al finally catches up to him. They're talking. And Sam is able to leap on his own, where he wants to. Mm. And this is like the last two minutes of the show. And he leaps back to this woman. She's crying. And you find out it's Beth. Yeah. And he's basically like, I have news for you. Al's still alive. (sighs) He's like, I'm going to change your life, but I'm not going to start at once upon a time. I'm going to start at the happily ever after. And so he changes history so that she doesn't remarry. So that when Al is rescued as a prisoner of war and comes back home, they get together. But we learn all of this in like these title cards. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is... So like he says that to her and then it just fades to black and we get two title cards or maybe three. One's basically she never remarries. Al returns home. They have, I think, four kids together. Yeah, but what's the rough one? Sam Beckett, misspelled. Yeah. Somehow. Whoops. One T. What? Oops. Who was the editor of that episode? The, the monkey from the monkey episode. They were going to be title like, cards. we would fire you, but the show was canceled. So yeah. Sam Beckett never found his way home. Oh, heartbreaking. That's the end of the series. That's the end of the show. And I guess the history is 
the network had come to him, to Belisario, and said, we need you to write a finale that will serve as a season finale and or a series finale. That's a tall drink to mix. That's hard. Very tall order. And so they do this whole thing, and I guess pretty late in the game, they're like, okay, we're not renewing the show. And so they basically had to insert these title cards. That's all they got to wrap up the show. But even before then, like the cast and crew, Belisari was like, hey, I'm writing the one. And they said to leave it open. We're going to get renewed. And the cast and crew was like, hooray, season six. And then like at the last minute, NBC pulls the plug. I mean, it was never a ratings powerhouse for the network, but apparently the season, the fifth season did really well. And I guess the finale did really well, but that wasn't enough to save it. And that was the end. So we're left on this kind of cliffhanger, but largely unsatisfying story for Sam. It's kind of a nice happily ever after for Al, which is great. But Sam's just like out there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of when we did the Choose Your Own Adventure books, and there was always the ending or two that was like a nightmare, like you're stuck in time forever. (laughs) You're in this time loop forever. You can't escape this hole, but you can't die. And you're just like, oh my God, this is the worst ending. That's what Sam Beckett got. He got that nightmare ending of Choose Your Own Adventure. Yeah, and we're in in contemporary culture, we're going to get to like how the cast, the crew, the community, the fans kind of reacted to that. You know, before we leave the finale, I want to say so what's cool is that bar is an almost exact recreation of Belisario's father's bar from 1953. So Belisario said, quote, I created Quantum Leap. My dad created me, so I made it my dad's bar. We recreated that Mm. bar to every detail that I could remember or find photographs. I even had the taps from the bar, and we used those. The ice cream cooler was the same. The back bar was the same. I did it as an homage to my dad, and I did it because I wanted to sit there and be back there. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it's great. Nice little nugget. In this show, we talk so much about nostalgia. And if you have the power, this dude literally recreated an entire room from his childhood. And so he just could sit in it. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, he had five seasons of not having to build a single set and just repurpose them all. So he's like, like I'll build one. I'll build a bar. Why not? And so we did some great highlights here of some really excellent episodes. And what I think is really powerful about the show, too, is both Belisari and his wife always wanted to try and tackle difficult topics. Not always. You know, Dracula, not so difficult. You know, we've talked about the episodes already, but they also dealt with violence against the LGBTQ community, against women, sex workers. But as you said, Monkey and Jane Goodall was involved in an episode. So Pratt asked Paul, this one of the writers of the show, she wanted to show the necessity of using animals for medical research, as well as showing that inhumane treatment was wrong. Quote, we like to lay out both sides and let the audience decide what to think. So, like, Paul thought this was really cool. So he actually got a meeting with Jane Goodall. And Jane was thought this idea was fantastic, and she was sending all these articles and scientific you said research. Paul, I'm sorry, who is Paul? Oh, so Paul Brown is the writer of this episode. Okay, okay. On the episode, The Wrong Stuff, set in January 24th, 1961, and Beckett leaps into the body of a chimp, and he's trapped in a research lab. He's going to be a space ape. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I just thought that was really cool that Jane Goodall got involved in Quantum Leap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some other fast facts. I just This is like really cool trivia about the show. I thought it was going to come up organically, but I just really want to throw out there because I love these facts. Uh, Scott Bakula ad-libbed, oh boy. And everybody loved that so much that it became the catchphrase on all the episodes. This is amazing from a production. So whenever that mirror, whenever Sam Beckett looks in the mirror to see himself, it's a dual set. So it's like an open rectangle and there's a whole nother set built on the other side and the actor is like mirroring him. And it's, I thought that was really impressive production. That takes some work. Yeah, absolutely. 
And the last kind of fun fact I have here, just for those of you bean counters, uh, so Sam Beckett leapt into every single year between 1953 and 1987 at least once, except 1977, 1984, and 1986. He leapt into 1862 and 1945. Though it was revealed in the series that Sam's initial leap took place in 1995, he never leapt into any year later than 1987. Mm-hmm. That was kind of interesting. They didn't try and really deal with, like, future looking too much. Right. I get it. It kind of narrows the scope of the show and tries to make it all contemporary storytelling. Which I, I'm fine with. I'm not, like, complaining about that. I just thought it was an interesting fun fact, you know? Like, mm, yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, well, I, I kind of wanted more, I'll be honest with you. Like, sure. I was like, oh, I think it would be really cool, like, to go really far back. Or I was like, I want him to go to the future, which I understand is hard to do, especially, yeah. I mean, you're, you're like, he's like, wait, we got to wait for a nice sci-fi set to come on to the come Universal lot so, exactly. <laughs> so we could shoot something in 2003. Although, to be honest with you, if they think that's what 1990-something looks oh, like. Oh, boy. We're in trouble. With everything glowing and flashy and right, all that. Right. Although I will say, I saw a VW ID4, which is like their electric SUV combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The entire front panel was glowing, including the circle around the logo. So it's like, that's kind of what was portrayed in the pilot. Sure. So a lot of things glowing and flashing. All right. Maybe we made it just like, <laughs> you know, 30 years later than what they thought. I love it. Wrapping it up for chemistry that I've got is just kind of the reception that the show got. So 43 nominations, 17 awards. 2004 and 2007, the show was ranked 15 and 19, respectively, on TV Guide's top cult shows ever. It currently sits at an 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb and 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's a, it's a solid B. I think that's accurate. Sam Beckett ranked number 12 in TV Guide's list of the 25 greatest sci-fi legends. And I love this like final thing. Of course, like in every interview with Scott Bakula... If you could travel through time, if you could leap back in history, where would you go? And what would you do? And quote, he said, I wish certainly I could go back and change the course of any of the world wars that have caused so many losses. And of course, Mm. more recently, when we think about 9-11 or things like that, if we could have had the knowledge to stop some of those things, you want to do that. You know, it'd be fun to go back to the days of yore and the courts of such and such. I wish he was more specific. I'd really like to know, like, which courts of kings and queens he'd like to be in. Yeah. Uh, quote, but I always tend to think more about the huge world events that have happened and if there was some way we could have prevented these big disasters. You know, it's kind of on the nose. It's kind of, uh, uh, for me, obvious and good on him. Like, let's stop the most tragic things that have happened in human history. Sure. But uh, our old friend Ziggy Nick had a different take. Ziggy Nick chose, from the class of 80s high... Torsten Fring's egregious handball on a corner kick in the 50th minute of the 2002 World Cup quarterfinal, preventing the Americans from equalizing and possibly advancing against a heavily favored German side, devastating American soccer culture's future, and perhaps creating the maelstrom that is Greg Berhalter's extremely questionable current tenure as head coach. I'm sure somebody out there understood that besides Nick. We need a sport baller who can interpret... Ziggy Nick for us. We need Coach Aaron back to talk us through that. (laughs) Coach Aaron, please help us out. Tell us what all of those words meant. So we opened this episode talking about quantum leap and quantum jumps, uh, but we haven't really gotten into anything about that or quantum physics. Like, is there anything in how the physics of leaping or the show work that struck you? You brilliantly knew, having been the academic of Stephen Hawking, that we all know you to be. You know, what was your reaction? One thing that's really interesting to me is 
I, I love things about time travel, right? Mm-hmm. Like any show, movie, and it doesn't all have to be about time travel like this one or was Sliders, was that time travel? I never watched Sliders. We're going to get into that in contemporary culture. It was, okay, it okay. Was, I'll, I'll put a pin in it. It was dimensional shifting. It was it was alternate universes, oh. but not time travel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I can just think of some of my favorite shows and sometimes the time travel episodes would be the best. Yeah. Like there's some good time travel episodes in Star Trek universe. Babylon 5 has an amazing two-parter time travel episode where they have to go back in time to set something into motion. Like there's cool stuff like that I love so much. And what I'm always interested in is the explanation of it. I mean, Back to the Future. Come on, oh my we gosh. all. Who doesn't love Back to the Future? Hot tub time machine. Who did <laughs> not? <laughs> Which they really get really mathematical in that. Very academic in hot tub time machine. Look, you pour Chernobyl on the time circuit. Chernobyl. I forgot about that. I find it interesting because, I mean, this is really space-time travel. Sure. With a body swap mechanic. Yeah, it's interesting. Then there's all these questions of like, well, is he that person? Has he replaced that person? Yeah. Is it a body swap or is it a mind swap? If he replaces them, where do they go? Because we were introduced in some episodes to the waiting room. Yeah, right. Yeah. Tell us about the waiting room. Right, 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 right. I'm not going to be able to fully explain it because I only read and saw videos about Quantum Leap about it. I didn't get to see an episode with a waiting room in it because it's not like a ton of episodes. But the whole idea is like that person goes there well, he's them, but he looks like... It's really confusing. I thought it was just the real person came to the future and just like hung out in the waiting room. Isn't that what it is until it's over? Yeah. And then Belisario was even joking, like, I like to think that people who believe that they are abducted by aliens have like been quantum leapt into <laughs> or leaped. They don't actually say leapt. They say quantum leaped into. It's like, maybe that explains why. That's People awesome. have that experience, which I thought was funny. I like that. That's good. There's one where he is a woman who's eight and a half weeks pregnant. And they oh, have this whole yeah. debate, like, you're not a woman. You can't have this baby. So there's this whole like mm. thing of, will he die? What will happen to the baby? Or, like, if the person dies, is he dead? Right? Are they yeah, dead? You know, there's like all of these questions that come up that, you know, they don't always consistently explore, but it, it's just an interesting to me thought experiment. So I I liked that, but it was never fully articulated or fleshed out. And sometimes they broke the rules. Did this bother you at all? Or because you only saw three episodes, it didn't grind your gears. What do you think? This show, like, I'm okay not knowing how all the mechanics work. Unless you're obviously breaking all the rules you've set up previously. Like, if you create a world, you tell us to come along in this world, I will accept all your rules until you break your own rules. And then I'm like, hey, hold on a minute. And which Quantum Leap does a couple times, just on occasions, they break some of the rules. But like, I'm more okay with them saying like, we don't know what's going to happen if you try and have this baby. Because that's how real science works. Like some, you get in a new situation, you're like, we don't really know. We're going to have to run some experiments. No one's ever done this. Let's set up a control group. Let's see how this is going to go. Yeah. What I wouldn't be okay with is if like they do the, the birthing episode and they're like, you can't have a baby. But like just in season one, he had a baby. And you're like, wait a second. You said he could have babies. Like that, that would drive me nuts. But I sort of like all these different scenarios of like, and to ask those unanswered questions of like, what would happen in time travel if this thing happened? Because apparently he has a daughter. Oh, uh, yeah. 
he and his wife, which this is another thing I want to talk about. Like, initially he's not married, and then he is married. Mm. And there's a lot of episodes where he's, like, smooching on the ladies. The the theater one I talked about, there's a lot of smooching in that episode. I'm like, well, what are the implications of that? Like, he's... Yeah. Getting little uh, sexy fun times with people and he's sexy married. Sexy fun times. Look, different couples have different rules. You know, so, like I've heard some <laughs> couples have like zip code rules or something like that. If you're in a totally different time and body, you know. Is he quantum swinging? Is qu- it, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, what was that music genre? Electro swing. It's quantum swing. <laughs> he's quantum swinging. Look, I, I, I'm not here to, you know. Cast dispersions of anyone else's relationship in their marriage. I'm just saying, if it was agreed upon in advance, that's fine. As far as I understood, someone was like, Oh, hi, Dr. Beckett. We're pulling the plug. And he put on a white, skin tight suit and ran into that particle accelerator. It was like, Leave me. Like, I don't think he was like, Hold on one second. <laughs> honey, honey. We just got to talk. So, real quick, um, if I happen to, I don't know, inhabit other people's lives and try to put right what once went wrong. Hypothetically, hypothetically speaking. I, I'm not really me if I start smooching on the dame. You know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> and look, and if I don't smooch them, I'm stuck in space time forever. Like, I'll never make it back. Like, are Exactly. You, well, what do you think? Anyway, it's just an interesting thing. It's like, a good point. It's I, a really good I point. I didn't think about it. And I was like, why don't they just make him single to like take that? Because listen, some people rightfully so, get very upset about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder why they went that direction when it just brings up all of these questions. Because ultimately, it's an issue of character for Dr. Beckett. Oh, sure. And he's what kind of person is he? Portrayed as this morally upright, do the right thing. Yeah. I have a high standard I set myself to. You know, they kind of paint him as this very, in some ways, two-dimensional character. You know, he doesn't get a lot sure. of... Sure. Variety like Al does, right? Al's kind of a womanizer, but he's got, you know, he's got that good side to him as well. Al's complicated. Sometimes you love Al. Yeah. He's a deep, wonderful person. Then you're like, wow, Al, put your tongue back in your mouth. Calm down. But he's set guy. up as complicated. Sam is not. So anyway, he's it, a, it right, was just right, an interesting right. concept that I don't know that they ever addressed, but it was something where I was like that. And I was like, why, when he's a woman, does he look like Scott Bakula in drag? And why, when he's anyone else he doesn't like that was just interesting you know, speaking to me of the under- understanding of the physics there was one thing that i discovered that i forgot as as a as a young child i thought al was sort of leaping with sam but just something uh, had gone wrong like with his leap and so he's like yeah. he's there but not leaping into a body and he still can talk to like the person in charge right i had no idea or any memory that like he specifically intentionally is coming back as a hologram to help him. I didn't know that. I thought he was kind of trapped and stuck and confused with him. But you have to imagine this guy's life is just sitting in that blue room waiting <laughs> to be like summoned so that he can right. check out what Sam's up to this week. Just imagine Al sitting around in the quantum leap lab and like a monkey shows up and he's like, oh God, you have got to be kidding me. We need the other side of the quantum leap of like what's going on in the lab. You know, he's sent to a particular place in a particular time to save one person usually. Yeah, right. It's a very specific mission, but we never learn who's giving this mission. Yeah. Which implies there's an arbitrary force. And they they never say like, it is this. They're like, maybe it's God. Maybe it's the mm-hmm. universe. Maybe it's a thing we don't even understand. Like they leave it open to the possibilities but it certainly implies an arbitrary kind of decision-making where it's like, 
well, you know what? You love your brother and your dad, but guess what? You can't fix their lives because we need you to fix this person's life. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Like it, I could see a lot of people sitting around having philosophical, metaphysical conversations. Yeah. And I think it's one of the strengths of the show. And I like that it's not fully explained because right. then it probably takes away some of the allure. Like, oh, it's just a computer that's going beep, boop, boop, save this person, dee, doot, doot, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I kind of just always told myself it was like a broken algorithm. Like there were just numbers randomly flipping mm. and it was like, it's sort of like how the flux capacitor in the DeLorean can get broken and like the time circuits are off and like it's just picking random dates and bodies. That's kind of in gonna my I was going to say, but that, but that would be the flux capacitor deciding, okay, now you're going to do this. But you're suggesting there's a randomness to it. Yeah. But like, what if, but the randomness would imply he'd show up somewhere and they're like, you know what? There's actually nothing to fix for these people. We just randomly got to a person. Who, their life's pretty okay. I mean, like, you they're doing all you right. You want to sit around and have Phil's call conversations. Chris, is anyone's life perfect? I think something needs improvement. Are you talking about me? Is that what you're saying? There's something I could do better? Let's see. Hold on. This is about to be a four-hour <laughs> episode. All right. Let's get comfy. Let me go get my donut like, to sit on. All right. I'm going to top off my knuckles, drink. Get my list. It's a scroll. I've done a scroll. Uh, no, you are perfection incarnate, Chris. It's a dream to do the show with you. What else you know, What else do you want to get into in chemistry here? Well, so the only other thing that I just felt was good for chemistry is talking about the procedural nature of this show. Oh, yeah, because... Yeah. I'll just say this, like this will come up in my math assessment, but this is not my kind of format. Oh, like okay. your law and orders, your NCIS, your fill in all the other blanks with those. They're usually what? Medical, law enforcement. Those just aren't my shows. Like I don't really connect with those because I do like deep, rich storytelling sure. and character development. And I love a good story arc. This just doesn't provide that. The way I kind of see it, these sort of shows are often a comfort. They're a familiarity because we know in every episode, we're going to get a quick recap. We're going to get Sam zipping into someone's body. Yeah. He's going to find out what's going on. He's like, oh boy. We get the intro. Sam comes back. He's figuring out the basics. We know Al's going to appear, usually walk through something because he's a hologram, oh, you see. But hey, that was a big trick back in the 80s for TV. Uh, you know, that's fun. Oh, and they, they, they every episode. It. They milked it. He's going to make some wisecracks, maybe something a little smarmy, maybe something a little innuendo-y. He's going to consult Ziggy, who's going to give us the projections, the results. Sam's going to fix what he needs to fix. There's a brief denouement before Sam then vanishes and finds himself confusingly in a new body. And repeat, that's pretty much without fail every single episode. Yeah. Which is fine. To your point, it's kind of fun at the end. Like, where is he going to go now? Yeah. Oh my gosh, who's it going to be? But also, it doesn't leave a lot of space for those other things I like when you only have a show of two people. Yeah. How do you develop character? What do you feel about these kinds of shows that are more anthology, not serialized, and more procedural in their structure. So the examples of shows you've given, I've never watched any of those. Like I've never watched any of the like medical dramas. I never even got into like ER, any of those law shows. So I had never really watched anything like this. And when I was rewatching for the homework, I absolutely love this format. Oh, okay. I thought it was awesome, which is surprising. And here's, and I'm going to address both your points here. Here's why. I feel like, streaming TV series ask too much of us as the audience today. 
too many times have I heard friends say like, oh, you got to give it a shot. By end of season two, it gets really good. Bro, that is 28 hours of my life before you're telling me I'm going to enjoy Not on Netflix. Enjoy there are only 10 episodes thing. these days. There are only 10 episodes right, But they say days. end of season two. So 10 episodes and episodes 45 minutes. There's a lot of time in my life. I want to know if I'm going to like something soon or not. I don't want to, I, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things vying for our attention. Haven't you watch robot murder assassin like 38 times? What's that show you keep wanting me to watch? I love that you brought that up because this is just like love death robots. That's what it which is. Which is a little contemporary culture. Now we're bleeding into, I'm bleeding three classes into one here, but <laughs> there's something really awesome of like, when I started with the color of truth, that was the first episode I rewatched. And I was like, this is awesome. But I didn't have to know, like, the chemistry and the history between these characters and really, like, oh, because they're standing by this car, this car was so meaningful in season one, episode two. Like, I didn't need such a relationship with the show to appreciate it so deeply. I appreciated the respect of my time to be able to, like, get into that. I I thought that was really neat. Fair enough. I I haven't seen a lot of TV like that recently. And to your other point, I think... Stockman and Bakula had electric chemistry together. I thought they were great with one another because they were these sort of the Boy Scout and this seen it all, done it all, you know, Vietnam vet, five wives. You know, they've been through all these different lives. I thought they acted so well together that they sort of kept me captivated in how they collaborated on solving the problem, whether they were sometimes in agreement or whether they fought uniquely having not really watched anything like this before it like really worked for me doesn't make me want to go watch ncis but it worked for me no fair enough i think those are two different viewpoints about why this kind of thing either connects or doesn't totally if time is precious and you want to be able to parachute in see a self-contained story and get out of there and not have to like know an entire season's worth of backstory yeah you're gonna get that yeah, yeah, I was digging it. That's all I really wanted to, to mention in chemistry. I know we're, we're going to have some fun things to talk about in contemporary culture. Yes. So I'm getting a, a call from Ziggy and uh, says, we have to go see what happened to this show, unfortunately, after it met its demise. Well, I, I need to leap into lunch. Oh, my gosh. First and foremost, before we fill ourselves with all of the things that we're influenced by. Okay, if you leap into someone else's body, and let's say like you're a chocolate guy and you don't like vanilla, but they're a vanilla person and not chocolate, like does chocolate taste good to you or bad? See, I thought you were going to go the allergy route. As a person who has a lot of allergies, how would that work? If they don't have an allergy and you eat a peanut, do you die or not? Like if Ben jumps into someone else, can he just chow down on crab and lobster and be okay? You listener will find out the answer on the other (laughs) side of our lunch break. Don't do it! (laughs) The final annihilation of man. Fleeing from the Cylon tyranny, the last battle star, Galactica, leads a ragtag fugitive fleet on a lonely quest. A shining planet known as Earth. What's the story you wish for? What's the story you wish for? What's the story you wish for? Follow Wishbone on the greatest adventures ever weekdays at 5 and weekend mornings at 9.30 on Kazoo! Hello, everybody. Um... Ben is currently in the hospital. 
clearly, he should not have eaten five lobster tails. That was a a misstep on his part. So send your well wishes and your prayers. So, <laughs> Chris, I'm here. I'm here. I'm back from the future. I have to leap into my body that just came to lunch to prevent me from eating shellfish because it's not going to work out. Oh, my goodness. So Quantum Leap was initially on Friday nights, and it was moved to Wednesdays, which was actually a more popular night for a sitcom or or TV series to go on. And this is back, of course, when everyone sat down at the same time and watched a thing. Yeah, there's no streaming. Unlike the era of streaming, yeah. Even like TiVo wasn't a thing yet. You weren't recording something at another time. It's just so funny to go back and watch people on television talk about viewer numbers, and they're like... The numbers back there compared to today are insane. <laughs> like the number of people who would sit down and watch an episode yeah, of at the ER. Same time. The tens of millions of people who would do that. Like you just don't get that anymore. No. It's so fascinating. Unfortunately, around season three, due to some dwindling numbers, NBC moved it to Friday nights, which was labeled the death slot. Mm. And fans sent in 50,000 letters to move it back to Wednesday and save it. And they did. And you can actually find this on YouTube where like the president of NBC like did a commercial saying what I just told you. And they like dump a thousand letters on him. And he's like, okay, you win. We'll move it back to Wednesdays. It's kind of a cute little clip. Let me leap to the finale though. As you said, the finale, and to your point, it was watched by 13 million American households that night. And those cards of Al and Beth remarried, and uh, Sam Beckett, Beckett, real quick T, not two T's, Beckett, never made it home. Sort of mixed feelings, uh, especially Belisario and Bacula, both pretty bummed. And of I think course. bummed is the nicest thing I can say on this podcast about what they were. Yeah. What I read was there were actually four endings written. Two were filmed, and we got the one that we all know. If the series had to end, if Belisario knew it was going to end, his desired ending was that Al and Beth would be this old married couple. You know, they had gotten back together, as you said, uh, and they would dis- they were talking about how to find Sam, who had started leaping again. And if it had continued, he wanted to have Sam leap into a space station in the distant future, and then Al would become the leaper, mm. which I thought was really interesting. We are going to get into the weeds. I'm going to go into the weeds, and I'm going to come back out real fast here. Basically, long story short, clips of the unaired other finale came out around 2018. So the, the those end title cards were purchased by a super fan, Allison Pregler, who's very into the show. It actually runs the helps co-run the Quantum Leap podcast, which you can check out if you're really into this show. And in May of 2019, video of that uh, unaired finale came out. By Leaper 1953 on Reddit. And Bacula confirmed that they were all shot. So you can kind of find some stills. And it is of Al and Beth talking at the end. Exactly what Belisario had said of like wanting to figure out how to go find Sam. And they're going to start leaping, which I thought was interesting. Mm. It did live on outside of television. Innovation Publishing produced a series of comic books that ran for 13 issues between September 1991 through August 1993. And then for actually a pretty long time, 92, from 92 to 2000, Berkeley published uh, the show in book form, 18 novels of the different misadventures of uh, Sam and Al. Mm-hmm. This isn't necessarily a spinoff, but I just thought this was cool. What cool thing did Scott Bakula do in the early 2000s? He stars in Star Trek Enterprise, uh, the prequel. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which I thought was kind of cool. That is one of the Star Trek properties I have not watched, I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, my rough memory was that it got really bad reviews, and so I never kind of dipped my toe into it. 
you know, a, a friend, well, Corey, who's been on the show, he, oh, yeah. you know, is very big into Trek. And he said, like, you know, it had some moments, but overall kind of missed the the mark, I think. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't Dean Stockwell, I think, show up in an episode of Enterprise? I think he does. Yes. So in the 2002 episode, Detained, and ah. actually in, in NCIS New Orleans, Chasing Ghosts 2014, both of which back was leading, actually Stockwell comes into both of them to try and like get the actors back together. Oh, that's cool. Now, you had mentioned sliders earlier. I loved sliders. So sliders didn't, also didn't live for a very long time, 1995 to 2000. Starred Jerry O'Connell, Sabrina Lloyd, Glavant Derricks, and John Reese davies from Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. And it's parallel universes. So they jump into different universes. They're not really into other people's bodies. Sometimes they're only there for a couple of minutes. Sometimes they're there for months. And they're trying to get back to Earth. So like okay. it's kind of a similar start, but they are trying to like help anybody and largely survive. Like there's monsters and space aliens and earthquakes and volcanoes erupting, all these things they've got to survive. Right. And the four people are very different traveling together, which keeps things really fresh and interesting. It's early CG, so it's kind of like quaint to go watch. Like it's fun remembering what CG was like in the mid-90s. Anyway, I love Sliders. I think it's a definite spiritual successor. Before we get to the big news of contemporary culture, it does come up in pop culture several times. Probably most recently in uh, Avengers Endgame in 2019, Ant-Man, Scott Lang, brings up Quantum Leap as one of the many examples of time travel when they're like arguing about how they're going to go back in time to try and stop Thanos. That whole scene is so hilarious. It's funny. It's really good. What's also kind of a, a funny little mention that Scott Lang talks about it is because his character can shrink so small to go into what they call the quantum realm. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he did in Ant-Man and the Wasp, which you know happened before the events of Avengers Endgame. And actually, the next movie that's forthcoming, I think next month it comes out, is Wasp and the Ant-Man, colon, Quantumania. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so very funny that he happened to be the one that mentions Quantum Leap because it's he's so kind of doing his own quantum travel. So there's a fun so little good. nested Easter egg. I have three more mentions of pop culture. So Source Code, a 2011 sci-fi film directed by Duncan Jones. Jones, when he read the script, thought it was like a lot like Quantum Leap. So he actually cast Scott Bakula as a voice cameo role. And actually has him say, oh boy. Nice. There's kind of a cute thing where about six years ago, Bakula's actually a guest on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And Colbert talks him into doing a whole bit. They're like in a taxi cab. Bakula's a driver. And they're like, it's Colbert quantum leaps into the taxi cab with Bakula. It's kind of a cute little gag opening to the show. Which Wait, is doesn't Colbert do that with Tom Hanks and Big? Yes, he also does a big thing with Tom Hanks, right? With exactly. the Zoltar, right? The Zoltar yes, machine. Get the whole That's Zoltar hilarious. Machine. I like Stephen Colbert's throwbacks. The last one I found, a comedy show that's near and dear to our hearts. So it shows up in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and the 27 episode, The Gang Turns Black, features a bunch of Quantum Leap nods. The whole episode, the gang finds oh, yeah. themselves in different bodies, and Sweet D suggests that they are quantum leaping, and Bakula actually shows up. Bakula shows up. As yep. Bakula, just kind of like researching up and roll, but like, that's amazing. But it also follows the premise of the original show in which when they're in these characters who are black, they're facing discrimination and prejudice kind of along the way as they're trying to get back to their regular bodies. So it's like thematically kind of follows along, but only in a way that Sonny can be referential, which is to say it's very, very (laughs) horrendous um, horrendous in a delightful uh, way. Delightfully horrendous. And what's the word I, I'm trying to think irreverent? of when something is? Thank you. That's the word irreverent. Very irreverent. Yeah. Yes. All caps. 
the last thing I have for contemporary culture, do you have some notes? Can you tell us about the season six of Quantum Leap? Tell us about the revival. Last year, 2022, and I think late in the year, Quantum Leap, a sequel slash revival comes out. It airs on NBC. It's, you know, on Peacock. Unfortunately, I don't have Peacock, so I wasn't able to watch an episode. I watched a few things about the show, but I wasn't able to see anything beyond clips. Stephen Lillian and Brian Winbrandt developed this series. It takes Mm -hmm. place 30 years after Dr. Sam Beckett steps into the Quantum Leap Accelerator. So it is continuity with the original. Yeah, I like that. I'm all about that. It stars Raymond Lee as the lead character, Dr. Ben Song, and it's got a more filled out cast of characters. Um, You know, like you mentioned, we kind of get some of the people at the Quantum Leap Project here and there in the original series. This one really tries to do more work of like showing the team back at base, if you will. Most notably, Ernie Hudson. Yeah! Another 80s favorite from Ghostbusters. Yeah! But Ernie... Ernie's character is an older version of that Herbert Magic Williams that was in that Vietnam episode. Right. So I love he's the that continuity same there. That's cool. Character, which is so cool. Now, Ernie did not play the younger version. It was a different actor, uh, but he was brought in for this one. So he's the head of the Quantum Leap project. Yeah. So it premiered in yeah September, so still pretty recently, and has been renewed as of last month in December for a second season. I believe there were 10 episodes in season one. Bakula confirmed he was asked to reprise his role, but he decided not to be involved with the new series. Mm, yeah. But it sounds like part of what they're maybe doing in the show is trying to figure out what happened to Beckett. So maybe yeah. we might see him in the future. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Never close know. the door on it. You know, I, I did find if you're kind of curious about the show, I found a YouTuber, Steve Shives. He does a really good review of the new show. And he had only seen at that point seven of the 10 episodes, but it felt very balanced. He wasn't like one of those people that's like, they ruined everything. It's awful and it's dumb and it's woke and (laughs) blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not that kind of a thing, but it's also not fanboy. He, I think it's a very balanced, like the show has potential. It has some rough spots. And if they can fix those, it could be a really good trajectory. Huh. And, you know, part of what he knows is like, you know what? The original series, when it started, was kind of clunky. Yeah. It took about a season and a half to find its voice. And he's like, if the new show can do that too and find its footing, I think it could really be solid. So the reviews that I saw, I think, were fairly in line with that, despite the, you know, grumblers who it's not like the original, I hate it. Or people saying it's too woke because, like, they have a very diverse cast of the people who are on yeah. the project. But I'm like, you know, that's modern television now. And like, there's nothing wrong with like reflecting different people and their experience. Like white man should not be a default. And then anything else is diversity. It's like, come on, come on. Well, I'm curious if you got similar reviews back when like Quantum Leap started in the late 80s, when most of the scientists who were head of the project were all women. I wonder if they got write-ins of like, these broads in the lab can't do it. Like maybe they got the same kind of stupid feedback. Well, and the show's always been about looking at, you know, sometimes the rougher parts of history and shining a flashlight on it and being able to say, like, this isn't okay. And so, like, that still connects with the modern audience. It's not as if we've solved all the world's problems and we're all just sitting around like, what can we do now? So, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's interesting. And I I think they're willing to play with some of the rules a bit, but, you know, keep it within the universe and explain it. So, I don't know. Like, it would be fascinating to check it out if I ever pick up peacock 
Right. So that's the the new show that's out and will, you know, continue at least for a second season. And maybe the new leap is the leap I need to get Peacock because nothing else has motivated me so far. So maybe this is this is it to test it out. And you can pick up some The Office. You can pick up Parks and Rec. Yeah, and great shows. Great shows. You do have to watch more than one episode, which I know you hate. So I don't oh, know what's going to happen. I'm just going <laughs> this guy. This guy right here. You know, Ben, there's no better place for Ziggy to do calculations. Oh, than math class. Than math class. Perfect transition. Let's go meet up with Ziggy and uh, and see what she says is all about this show in 2023. Chris, thank you for leaping back in time with me to 1989, to the start of Quantum Leap. Like I said, if you want to get into more of Quantum Leap, there is a Quantum Leap podcast that really gets deeply into it. You can go nuts mm. on it. But Chris, we're here in math class. How do you feel about this show? Looking back on it now with uh, Leap-colored eyes. I think it's easy to see why Quantum Leap was beloved by a loyal audience and has a fan base dedicated to its continuation and revival. We've seen that with other sci-fi shows that struggle to stay afloat from Firefly, Farscape, Mm. to Babylon 5, and even the original Battlestar Galactica. Which, by the way, we didn't mention. Dean Stockwell, he shows up in the new Battlestar Galactica. Oh my god, duh, how did we not say that? He's one of the Cylons. He's one of the Cylons, that's a huge He does a fantastic job. He's still that kind of little snarky, little wisecrack, little rough around the edges guy. failure on my part, that's terrible. Because again, Belisario was a creator and writer for that original show, and so him coming back for the revival, so fitting. Allow us that transgression, everybody. Yes. You know, I like that this show provides variety across the board. It's that mix of comedy and drama, those personal stories, as well as some of those bigger stories every now and then. It tackles societal mores and taboos. It puts Sam in a variety of people's shoes throughout time. I like the captivating premise of righting wrongs of the past and sometimes failing despite your best efforts. That's a good life lesson. Understanding the experience of people different from ourselves And ultimately, the theme of finding your way back home or trying to. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, the downsides are mostly those of personal taste, as I kind of mentioned earlier. If you enjoy rich character development, overarching storylines, a show's mythology, world building that you find more in serialized television, you're going to struggle, I think, with this show. You know, to a lesser extent, I was bothered by some of the plot inconsistencies and retcons that were ignored simply because they didn't serve the story. But again, those were minor. Also, if you don't like unanswered questions or vague explanations for complex (laughs) time-space travel mechanics, the show might drive you a little crazy. Uh, But I think, again, those are minor. Overall, I really enjoyed leaping back into this show, getting to explore its origins, its ending, and the finer moments between. While it wasn't enough to hook me for a full series watch, it was fun to inhabit these characters and their creators if only for a brief while. You know, to be completely honest, if I could just copy and paste all the positives you said, I agree on all that. I, You know, I was a little nervous after I picked this show. Like a lot of things we find so sacred back in the 80s that we reflect on, that we love thinking about, sometimes it's just best left there. And I was like, oh God, if we revisit this, is it actually going to be terrible? Mm. You know, like some of the other shows we've gone back to, they've been like, ooh, should have just left this in the nostalgia bank. And I was shocked at how much I loved this show. I would happily add this to my queue and binge the entire series. I was in love with 
this. Watch it. I mean, I know it was only three episodes. <laughs> it was the time I had during the holidays. But I thought it was great for all the reasons you said. The acting was great. The writing is great. It shot so well. I love the lessons and the morality that are sort of taught through such like an intense, empathetic mechanic. And the variety, like it's dramatic, it's a romance, it's scary, it's an action show, it's it's funny. Like, there's so much variety in each of them. Mm. I know you cast me out as some sort of, like, horrible demon who can't commit to a story. And I, you know, I love Stranger Things. No, that's I loved, accurate. You are I horrible. Loved, oh, you, you monster. <laughs> you I, like demigorgon I said, of You demigorgon. <laughs> I love long staying series. I just started the final series of The Walking Dead. I haven't missed any of that. You know, I love Stranger Things, Battlestar Galactus, one of my favorite series of all time. There's a place for those. But this was such a helpful discovery that I can also really love these properties that aren't like so tied together between episodes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, just for Halloween, uh, we we binged through Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix, which mm. are all these like standalone horror stories. They're sort of like an Edgar Allan Poe-esque kind of thing. Mm. You know, one of my favorite things that's ever been on streaming is Love, Death, Robots, which is a whole nother sci-fi machine of different artists and storytelling, but none of them are connected. It's yeah. just, I don't know, it's really cool. It's easy to digest on one hand, it's easy to digest because you don't have to know the whole series. But on the other hand, like, each episode is such a deep dive into, like, a heartfelt topic. Mm. Bakula and Stockman are great together. They're so good. Hold on. I keep saying Stockman. I'm thinking Baxter Stockman from Ninja Turtles. Bakula and Stockwell are so good together. So, so, so good. Um, I just love their chemistry. Yeah. And like I said, it's just a fun teaser. I mean, I know lots of shows have perfected the the cliffhanger on the end, but I love the cliffhanger of like, you're, you just get to realize where he is, who he might be, and like, you got to find it a week later. I will dare say, I think this is my favorite television show we've revisited in 80s High. I really wow. enjoyed it. More than Fraggle Rock? You know, Fraggle Rock is great for what it is, but just like... The depth of this show, how deep. Watch a couple it was. of the stinker episodes of Quantum Leap, and then okay, we'll then talk. We'll come back, then we'll come back we'll and talk. visit. Then we'll come back and visit. But I was just so impressed with it. So um, I loved it. I can't recommend it enough. I think it's great, but I'm not saying it's perfect. There's plenty of flaws in it, and you made you made good points about those flaws. But I had a great time going back to Quantum Leap. It was fantastic. Nice. But like that, us together. And our listeners, a blue glow has just come over us, having completed this episode. Yeah. And we are leaping somewhere else in time and space. And only you, Christopher, can tell us where we've appeared and what we must accomplish. Well, Ben, my goodness, you saddled us with some heavy subject matter this episode. I did. With all the physics talks of quantum mechanics, strange quarks, mesons, and astrally projected brainwaves. Oh, wow, done. That was intense. I need to bring it down a level. Okay, good. But at the same time, let's keep that sense of losing ourselves in a new story. Okay. Of meeting different characters. Okay. And sparking our childlike imaginations through new worlds where there are butterflies in the sky and we can jump twice as high. And what better place to ignite that passion for reading than with a children's television program that Mm. debuted in 1983 on PBS with its hosts, LeVar Burton, speaking (laughs) of sci-fi. That's right, everyone. On the next episode of 80s High, let's take a look. It's in a book. We're revisiting the (laughs) living room floor in our pajamas where we could go anywhere and do anything. With friends we know and ways to grow. We're watching A Reading Rainbow. Hold on. 
This is like, besides the Fraggles, the best heart of anything we're going to do. Oh, what a pick. This is great. I don't remember watching too much of Reading Rainbow, but it was always a thing we knew about. And it's just, it's one of those things where, again, I picked this before I knew you were picking a television show. So we're still staying with television. But it felt right. And I was like, I don't want to move it simply for that reason, because I've said this before, I've picked a lot of big topics this season of 80s High. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to stick with this one because while it's expansive, like the concept is still very small and contained. It's it's igniting joy for reading. It's kids recommending oh, books yeah. to other kids. Anyway, we're getting too much into it, but it just sounded very exciting to me. No, it's an amazing pick. And we're still in the time, the early parts of 2023, New Year's resolutions. People often say they want to read more. They have a reading list they want to get to. Maybe this is the spark. If you're an adult, you can read a lot of children's books. You'd be like, I've read 70 books so far. People are like, what? (laughs) What? Okay, they were picture books, but But I read them. still, you're getting into the details. (laughs) Don't bog down in the minutiae, you monsters. Amazing pick. A really amazing pick. I like this. Thank you. This is good. This is great. Absolutely. I cannot wait to listen, watch, and read along with you. I look forward to meeting you on the other side of the rainbow. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed, with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the rumor. Stay radical! Stay radical!